the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. AM 1160. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Welcome to The Common Good. My name is Brian Fromm, alongside my co-host, Ian Simpkins. Happy Thursday to you as we make it through our first week. This is The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Uh, Ian, before we jump into things, let me give some of the particulars. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash The Common Good Radio Show. That's facebook.com slash The Common Good Radio Show. And we're wanting to grow that following. So right. hop on. It's an easy follow. And uh, we'd be glad to meet with you there and talk to you there. Uh, during the show here, you could reach us at 312-660-2594. That's 312-660-2594. Well, Ian, yesterday, I don't know if you saw it on the news, but there was an emotional funeral yeah. uh, to a boy, a uh, college kid by the name of Tyler Trent. Uh, and Tyler Trent, if you ever watch ESPN, and then it got beyond that, he was uh, a Purdue Boilermaker kind of super fan, uh, stricken by cancer, and he's been on hospice. And for like the last six months, he's been a lot of the ESPN shows, yeah. uh, been a, had a lot of FaceTime, and just so inspirational, so yeah. inspirational. It transcends sports. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and he passed away on January 1st on New Year's. Everybody knew he was you know, going to pass away. It was a matter of when, not if. Yeah. And uh, yesterday was his funeral. And so something important about Tyler Trent's life is Tyler was a, a committed believer in Jesus. Yeah. And we thought it would be uh, impactful to start this show just kind of talking about this, because when you and I heard uh, some of the stuff said at this funeral, we were kind of blown away. Yeah. So uh, let's go to the audio. We're going to let you listen to this is the quarterback of Purdue who got to know Tyler very well, uh, giving uh, kind of a eulogy. And then we're going to react afterwards undeniable love for the Lord is what has impacted my life forever. Whether it was an encouraging text he sent with scripture or one of his favorite sermons, his willingness to share his powerful testimony or those three verses that he lived by in 1 Thessalonians, it was evident who he belonged to and who he lived for. Because in Psalm 23 verse 4 it says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Tyler sent this verse to me twice via text and reflecting on it now, that's exactly what he was doing. Walking through the valley of the shadow of death, staring it right in the face, and because of his hope and trust, In Jesus Christ, he didn't lose hope. He was able to see the circumstances in front of him as an opportunity to serve others. 
And if that's not Christ-like, I don't know what is. And I I don't know what kind of week or month or year you're having. Um, Candidly, it's it's been a a tough week uh, for me and our church family even. Um, I I hear a testimony like that, a reaction to that kind of life lived, and I think that doesn't that just bring it all back to perspective? Like a quarterback just observing this kind of life lived through a young man who, I, I mean, I don't know what kind of life you were living when you were that age, man. I, I, I don't think there's anyone on planet Earth that would say anything close to that when I was 19. When Absolutely. I was, and that, that to me is, there's a couple of layers to that. One, I, I just, that's the kind of legacy I want to I leave. Like that, I, I hear those types of stories, and I think, man, what, what a reminder amidst all the garbage of the world, all the stuff that weighs on us, all the stuff, honestly, even the little things that just distract us, trip us up. But the other thing, I think so often we talk about like the youth as the church of tomorrow. Mm. I think they're the church of right now. Great. I think in a lot yes. of ways they're leading the way. They're taking Jesus seriously. They're hearing the stories of this like peculiar rabbi, and they're saying, okay, if that's what you're then that's how we should live. There's a there's a mobility, I think, to, to youth, and yes. I, I think they in a lot of ways haven't had haven't had like life beaten out of them yet, the way that some of us maybe feel once we get mortgages and four hundred one ks. And I don't know, man. This I, I've been keeping up on this on this guy's story a lot this last week and a half, and and I, I think his story is remarkable. Remarkable, and it just I love what you mentioned there about the youth. But uh, it reminds me of one of my favorite movies from back in the day. You remember the movie Braveheart? Yeah, you know, movie Braveheart, and the Mel Gibson character is is about to die. He's about to be executed, and. Uh, the woman's like, oh, plead for mercy, all this kind of stuff. And he says, he says this line, he says, everybody dies, but not everybody lives. Yeah, right. And this kid who lived to be 20, 21, 22 right. has left a legacy that is going to go on for so long. It reminds you of Paul's words, right? He ran the race. Yeah. Uh, a life well lived. He completed his task. Okay. And uh, just think his life, uh, besides we, we can celebrate that he's going to spend eternity with his heavenly father, but his life is going to resonate for years and decades to come. Yeah. This, this story hits me particularly hard too, because I, I had a friend in college undergrad who had been in and out of hospital since he was like two. Mm. And I think when he was born, doctors said that he would make it to four or five at best. And his dream was to be a youth pastor. So we were no. both in school together to study youth ministry and he would often miss whole weeks because he'd be at hospitals, he'd be getting worked. Like it was, it was a really, really um, painful thing just wow. to observe. And he was, you know, he's really frail, and he had sorts of like all sorts of external things that made it pretty clear that he was he was sick. But he and I struck up this like really natural friendship. And he'd always like pretend to pick a fight with me, you know. So we'd <laughs> yeah. we'd be like out on the out on the lunch line or something, and he'd be like, "Hey, you want to fight Simpkins?" And I, you know, I'd say, "You want to lose?" And we'd pretend box. <laughs> people were like, "Is he even pretending to fight the sick kid? What's wrong with him?" <laughs> But that was always sort of our yes. joke, and when when it was clear uh, that things really took a, a turn for the worse with him, I um I went and got these big padded like boxing gloves, you know, and I and I mm. got some marker and I wrote on them the the Ryan series, you mm. know, because that was sort of our joke. And I I brought him to the hospital and we like hugged and cried and prayed. And um, a week later he passed, and then about a month after that I got a knock on my dorm room door, and it was the father. Wow just standing there and he had these boxing gloves and he like sat down in my room and he said, um, Ryan had these boxing gloves at his bedside um, every day uh, as a source of inspiration because I don't know if you realize this, but the, the brand that I got was Everlast. Oh my gosh. And he's like, that was a reminder that Ryan's faith was everlasting through mm-hmm. thick and thin. And I want you to have them now. 
and I want you to put them in a place that you'll see them to remember the faithfulness of your friend Ryan. And I, like, I've n- I've just never forgotten that interaction. He that that kid, you know, he, he died when he was nineteen, mm. way, way, way too young. Yeah. But his impact um, is is immeasurable in my life, at least. That's, that's a that's a story. I think we should sign off now, man. That is <laughs> it. Uh, we've been talking about how Ian and I are both pastors. And uh, I've always felt like one of the hardest things to do, but one of the most humbling and honoring things to do is to lead a, a funeral, is to be able to walk aside a family in that, and uh, particularly the funeral of a, of a, of a Christian, of, yeah. a, of, a, of a Christ follower. Yeah. And I, in a strange way, I enjoy it hmm. because it is a time where everything else gets stripped away and you can celebrate the life of the person. Right. But, it, but the good news of the gospel is never more real than in that moment as well. And that's what this story makes me think of, too, and your story even more so. That, like, it's not about the number of years that you live. That's right. It's not. We, death is going to happen. Like, let's get heavy right now, right? Death is going to happen. Yeah. You're going to die. The question is, what are you going to do with the time you have? Whether it's 20 days, 20 years, 80 years, uh, what are you going to do with your time here? It's like those two dates you know, on your headstone. Mm-hmm. The question is, what are you going to do with the dash? The, dash, the yeah. dash is what we have in between. And I think I totally agree. That does sound like a morbid thing to say. I think pastors maybe understand this in a different way. Mm-hmm. The, the honor, the blessing, if I can use that word, true. being able to be with people uh, in their time of grief, but also in their time of celebration. And I, you know, I think... It's one of those things that I, I don't I don't feel like I know like I don't feel like I'm very good at it. Like yeah. I always you know I've been a pastor about 15 years. I still really struggle, um, but the thing that I keep finding is also how receptive people are to the gospel. Yeah. Um, when someone they know is past, when you get to just share honestly, when you don't you're not sugarcoating it, you're not pretending that grief doesn't happen. I think it's one of the things that the church often really struggles with is sitting in grief, yes. like allowing the weight of man, this is just hard, right? It's, this is bittersweet. The sweetness is that they're not in pain anymore. Yes. That they're, but the bitterness is that in this moment, it feels like they've been taken from us, you know? But the chance to say, this is what I think they would want you to know, to not just celebrate their life, but to say, this is how they live. This is why you saw this light in them, was because of the one who redeemed them and saved them and was continuing yes. to save them. I think to be able to, to help usher people towards that um, is, is a really great honor. It's an honor. Uh, and to put a bow on this story, Tyler Trent's funeral, a lot of the uh, anchors and the people from ESPN went because he had been around the studios a lot and this and that. Uh, and one of the guys is an anchor, if you know ESPN. He does it at night, or kind of a midnight show, Scott Van Pelt. And I don't know if Scott Van Pelt's a believer or not. No idea. Uh, but he tweeted this. Uh, he said that he slipped out of the back of the church, and the first thing he did after the funeral was FaceTime his kids. Oh. And he said this. He said to his kids, I'll give you a hug when I get home. I love you. Oh, man. I think, guys, there's power not just in how we live, but the life that we live and how we die and the legacy we leave that we don't even know. And as Christians, we are called to live for something greater, whether you've got 10 years or, you know, 80 years. Uh, you've got a purpose here on earth, and we're thankful and wanted to start our show with the fact that Tyler Trent lived out his purpose well. Yep. Lived it well. We're off and rolling here on The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Uh, When we come back, we're going to talk, we're going to shift gears a little bit and talk about one of our favorite phrases. You know what that phrase is? (laughs) Fake news. Fake news. So we are going to talk a little bit about fake news and age and what do do we as Christians do in this age where increasingly we are surrounded by fake news. So uh, 
Join us as we have that conversation here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. This is The Common Good with Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins on AM 1160. Hope for your life. AM 1160. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Brian Fromm. I'm here alongside Ian Simpkins. Uh, I am the lead pastor of Four Corners Community Church in Darien, Illinois, and Ian is the teaching pastor at the Yellow Box Community Christian Church in Naperville. Uh, again, you can follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash The Common Good Radio Show. That's facebook.com slash The Common Good Radio Show. Or you could call us at 312 660 2594. 312 660 2594. Well, before uh, we ended the last break, well, we told you we were going to talk about fake news. <laughs> fake news. Did you know that is uh, that was the number one that that phrase got added to the dictionary this year? No, fake news officially. Yeah, I think I believe so. I believe I'm right about that. Although that could have been that might have been fake, fake news. <laughs> I would have loved to find that. I out. believe I'm right, but <laughs> if I'm wrong, feel free to let us know. And uh, an interesting article came out on uh, this one's on TheVerge.com is about. Uh, saying this, people older than 65 share the most fake news uh, a new study finds. So kind of a, with age comes more of a susceptibility uh, to sharing fake, fake news. And I figured one of the reasons that this author uh, said that that might be the case, I found very interesting, said that uh, people who are older, they grew up with uh, more of a trustworthy news sources. Oh, interesting. <laughs> and so they are more likely to believe um, the fake news. But uh, I, we wanted to turn this, though, Ian, this way, and I want you to jump in here. Uh, I could be wrong here, but sometimes I feel like Christians are the worst <laughs> at sharing fake news. And uh, we're a part of this, right? We're sure, believers. We're sure. pastors. But I, I, I feel like Christians seem to, for some reason, to be particularly susceptible to fake news. Uh, am I right about that? And uh, this age thing? I don't know. I don't know. I think, like... My mind jumps to the last week or two. I've gotten just shy of 7,000 messages with that copy and paste forward that someone's stolen my account, even though someone hadn't stole their account, and that, that kind of gets forwarded. And then it's followed by another 7,000 apologies. Sorry, I just yes. went on Google. I just went on Snopes. My, my bad. So, yes. so, and that's not necessarily fake news, but still just this, this susceptibility thing is what I'm interested in. And I don't, I don't know that I necessarily have experienced Christians being better or worse yeah. at it, although I can understand why you might think that. I think maybe because I'm just in the Christian world, right? But Are you saying I'm not in the Christian <laughs> world? <laughs> just, I'm a pastor. I, uh, the point. thing that I find fascinating, though, is that like there is a um, a general, like when we talk about fake news and then there's the, all these retractions, and like my, I had a friend that used to send me links. There's a website called Let Me Google That For You, <laughs> and so you just take any... <laughs> Any Google search, you put it into let me Google that for you, and it sends a link, and it creates a little animation that types a specific question into Google, and it's, it's obviously like a sarcastic move. But I'm, I'm fascinated how many times I'll see people share an article, and then in the comment they'll say, haven't read this yet, sharing for later. That's true. And I'm like, there's other ways to save articles. Like, just email it to yourself or you know, save it in a bookmark. Like, there seems to be... Uh, almost a flippancy with just yep. chucking stuff out in the internet. And oftentimes when I'll see people who have done the, the, the hard work of fact-checking, they'll comment under a post say, that's, that's not actually true. 
And then, and more often than not, the person that posted it will say, ah, "I didn't do any research. It's still a funny meme." And I'm like, "Yeah, but it's it's hurtful. false, though. It's yeah, it's not helpful noise." Yeah. I'm hoping that like the next generation, like my kids, right, Madeline and Jackson and Emily, I'm hoping that that they will be better at this because they've grown up around this, right? Yeah. They won't be as susceptible. But what do you, what do what do we think about uh, here? Here, Christians are people of the truth. Yeah, the gospel is truth, right? And we stand up for the truth. Sure. And yet we have the same susceptibility to um, to fake news. And I guess what, what my worry would be is that we are um, we're hurting the message of the gospel. Yeah. And so it feels like the burden on us as followers of Jesus is higher. Hmm. That if we are claiming to follow the one who is the truth, yep. then we've got to be really careful. Yeah, right. I, man, I think it's more than just being accurate, too. I think tr- being people of truth isn't just journalistic accuracy. As important as that is, you know, I mentioned a couple days ago that email that I got, you know, pastors, beware, millennials are (laughs) fact-checking. The subtext was like, hey, you can't fudge the numbers in your sermons anymore. That was discouraging enough, but I don't think it's just, hey, was was it six or was it seven? I think that those kinds of facts are important. But standing up for truth, in in my mind, philosophically, is way broader and and way more powerful than just, oh, I got the details of a story right. Good point. It's, It's standing up for truth when in truth is being is being spewed when someone's being belittled or someone's being neglected like i think that's also part of the proactive nature being a people of truth isn't just having snopes on the ready that's good i think it's proactively being a people who bring truth uh into whatever circumstances they find themselves in that's good that's good yeah if we're going to be different than the world and we want to uh be able to be people of light in the darkness because like you said uh, to put a bow on this, fake news is always done with a purpose. Yeah. Not just, oh, I got it wrong. I think one thing we've learned is it's often manipulative in order to get you somewhere and to sure. do something. And that's not what Christians should be about. Right. And so we've got to be careful. Well, again, you're joining us on The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Uh, when we come back after uh, the bottom of the hour, we're going to talk about something, Ian, that I am really passionate about. I know you are as well. It is, it is this concept of the church as a family. Hmm. It's not an event. It's a family. It's not something you go to, that it's something you belong to. And we're going to talk about that, but we would love to hear from you out there. What does it mean for you that church is family? And have you experienced that? And how have you experienced that? So we really want to hear from you. Here's the phone number, area code 312-660-2594. That's area code 312-660-2594. Particularly, what does it mean to you that the church is family? And if it were acting as a family, uh, would that be really more attractive to you? So we'd love to hear from you, uh, and we're going to talk about that uh, at the, at the, uh, in our next time together. Well, again, this is The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Follow us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That is The Common Good Radio Show. For Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins, we'll be back. Uh, this is The Common Good. This is The Common Good with Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. AM 1160. Next on The Common Good, we're going to talk about the concept of church as family. And we'd love to hear from you. How have you seen the church function as a family, call us at area code 312-660-2594. That's area code 312-660-2594. Or follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash 
The Common Good Radio Show. Well, now let's go to traffic and weather. AM 1160. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Brian Fromm, along with Ian Simpkins. I'm telling you still, man, my favorite part of our show is every time the music comes on, I don't know what it is. It's like our own Spotify. It kind of brings me back to the old uh, shuffle days. I know. You like, legitimately didn't know what song know. was coming up next. One of these times, I'm just going to start singing. I'll be like, oh, wait, please don't do that. There are people listening. Yeah, please don't. Please don't do that. <laughs> anyway, we're excited that you're joining us today on The Common Good on AM 1160. Um, we would love to interact with you if you want to speak with us specifically about this concept of church as family. What does it mean for you that the church is not just something that you attend, but it is something you belong to? Uh, We would love to hear from you. You could give us a call at area code 312-660-2594. That's area code 312-660-2594. Ian, as I just mentioned, one of the things that, that has really become a driving passion for me as a pastor, and even if I wasn't a pastor, I think I would look for a church where this was the truth. Yeah. Uh, is that church is not something you attend, that church is a, is a people or a group or a family that you belong to. And that's my driving path. That's, that's what I want in my church. Yeah. Uh, give me your thoughts on that. Well, I think it's, it's more than just a uh, desire for our church. Because I think a lot of pastors and probably a lot of Christ followers would agree with you. They would say, yeah, that, that sounds better. We know that an event misses the mark somehow. That doesn't feel like it has the depth that the church should have, and I think where we often get caught up, at least for me, this is one of the things that's sort of a hobby horse of mine, is how we speak of these things. Mm. Like, words create worlds, right? Like, the language that we use around things matters. So so often, I think we can get people that'll, you know, nod their head, say, yeah, yeah, it's, a, it's totally a family, totally a family, but we, we still insist on using phrases like, well, I'm going to church. You know, I'm yes. go- we speak of it specifically as an event or a location. And there, there's this uh, article I just read today on ChristianityToday.com and the title is Church is a Family, Not an Event. And it, I just wanted to shout amen throughout the whole article because it says what I've been feeling for so long in so better words, but uh, so better words. That's <laughs> case, case in point. Uh, but I want to read good. just like a paragraph or two because uh, I just found this fascinating. It says, the philosopher Donald Schoen coined the term generative metaphor to describe how mental images affect the way we approach problems. For example, if a company is described as fragmented, then a new manager may seek interrogative solutions, where, whereas if it's described as multifaceted, then they may actively pursue diversity. Descriptors, metaphors, and conceptual models can have a profound effect on both how we understand something and how we act. So when the church is understood as an event, not just talked about, but if it's understood as an event, it makes sense to bring event management techniques to bear on the strategies, streamlining processes to maximize attendance, encourage repeat visitation, and increase visitor satisfaction. It's no wonder those have become key success metrics, right. even though they bear no resemblance to the way successful churches are presented in the New Testament. And that hit me like a ton of bricks. Boom. Because yes. I apply a lot of those principles. That's yes. how my brain thinks. How do we? And I don't think they're bad. No. I don't think it's bad to think through, man, we want visitors to have a good experience, yep. but that idea of how, how we speak about things or where we put them in order of priority and talking about not attending church, but being the church has massive significance. How do you, yes. how do you deal with that as a, as a pastor to, to kind of help, you know, untangle some of what people maybe have been taught or believed about what the church is? Yeah. And it, go all the way back to the book of Acts, right? We all want our churches 
kind of to appear like the book of Acts, maybe minus the persecution. Sure. But they were facing death and they were facing uh, they were being ostracized by their families. Like it wasn't a, a theoretical we're now family with each other. They were each other's family. Right. They were the all that they had yeah. and they were facing persecution, death, all of this. Like they wouldn't have had a conversation about, huh, is the church something you attend or is I don't know why I'm using a southern accent. <laughs> Is the church something you attend or is it something you belong to? No, this was their people. Like right. they, had, they had left their families and they were tied together with the other Christ followers. Right. Now we don't face those things, so we have that luxury yeah. to say it's something I go to. It's not something I'm, I'm a part of. But then when life really comes crashing down and you're looking for that support, you're mm. looking for what the church should be, it's not there. Why? Mm. Because you've never viewed it that way in the first place. Yeah, no kidding. If you want the church to be what it was meant to be, then then that's the the lens through which you've got to look at it. Like this is a family. I'm going to I'm not going to go to the place just because of the music or the preach. All of these are important. Right. Um I'm going to go to a place where I can invest and be loved and then I'm not going to leave it even when things are kind of annoying. Well, I me- I remember the the last church I I pastored uh, a guy was in the hospital for a week and um, his small group did an incredible job of like visiting him in the hospital and bringing him meals. And when he, when he got out, um, he came to the office and was furious. He was furious. Uh, and his words were, I was in the hospital for a week. Where was the church? Oh. And I said, I, uh, I thought that your small group had been visiting you all week. Go, yeah, that's my small group. Where was the church? <laughs> and I was like, man, that is the, that's the church being the church, that's your that's small good. group, this community of people. And it, be, it began like a whole line of thinking for us. In fact, we, um, we, for a while, were gathering in the round because the conclusion that we came to was that when we arrange our buildings like theaters, we can't be surprised when our people behave like spectators. Like, I'm not going to a movie theater to participate. I'm going to be entertained. Yeah. And I think sometimes uh, a theology of architecture is really significant. It's really important. Your space conveys something, whether you know it or not, whether you like it or not. And sometimes, don't you feel like our spaces sort of scream come be entertained yeah. it's this transactional i'll give you some information some spiritual ideas and uh you know some people maybe even see the the tithe the offering as like their that's their entrance that's their, that's their admission to the show i yeah. think it's a dangerous way to look at what's meant to be a family meant to be a it body is. and and we live in a fragmented culture in which people are looking for connection people are looking for community they're looking for family right a lot of People don't live near their family anymore, right? People live uh, wherever the jobs take them. And I think people are longing for this type of church experience, yeah. but they don't know any better. And we don't know any better as pastors. So what do we do, right? Yeah. We focus on the Sunday morning only, or how can we get more people in the door? Or right. what, As opposed to, no, this is more of an organic family that's going to go. It's a family uh, Monday through Saturday as well, right. not just on Sunday. It's not just a Sunday thing. So I do think we're guilty, like you said, of setting it up like an event. Like, hey, just come to church on Sunday, right. and that's all. Now you've done your thing. No, it's so much deeper than that, people. Like, I, I know there's people out there who are longing for what we're talking about, and I would say go find a place. Yep. Like, ask your friends, hey, do you have a church that kind of functions as family? Ask yourself the hard question. If life were to come crashing down around you tomorrow, who would surround you? Yeah. And if nobody in comes to mind that's a part of your church— then that's probably problematic. Yeah, no kidding. Well, and it's interesting too that even the word church is the word it's the word ecclesia, right. which is pretty clear means like a gathering. You know, it wasn't just a religious word; it was used in in military context too. And then, you know, a few centuries ago, we get the German word kirche, which is where we get church, which is where this idea of church simply as a 
location is sort of introduced, but like the, the word ecclesia was never really intended to mean a location or an event. And I think, I mean, I'm so I'm so grateful for the family I was raised in, mm-hmm. and it, it wasn't perfect, but they did a ton of things right. And one of the things I, I thought about and thinking about church as family is I would I would never think about sitting down to the dinner table, my mom maybe putting some food in front of me and me saying, uh, I don't prefer this. Bring me something else. <laughs> like that would ne- that would not end well for me. I wish people could see the hand gestures. Just, uh, just uh, away from try me. again. That would never <laughs> work. But so often that we treat you know attending an event type church situation as sort of a buffet, and we have words like I'm church shopping. Mm-hmm. You know, like at a family when the meal's done, you're doing some dishes. Or you're changing some typers. Yep. Like it's, okay, this is part of what it means to be in this together. There's a, a different sense of, of belonging, right? It's not, it's not that any one person there is, I mean, there's obviously still people who are in charge. <laughs> there's, 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 I think that's important. But yep. Yep. I always look to family as something to be a part of, to participate in. Uh, the article you read before, let me, let me read this, how he uh, talks about this. You brought up church hopping. Yeah, It's fascinating that you brought that up. He wrote, when I go to family gatherings, I don't expect my sister to provide restaurant standard food, and I don't expect my son to choose a playlist I could sing along to. I expect my uncle to be a bit crabby, (laughs) one of the kids to have a meltdown, and the house to feel a bit cramped. While there may be peace and harmony, perhaps even some joyful singing, at my neighbor's house, there's no way I'd ever leave my family and move next door. If the church is our true family, what does this say Hmm. about church hopping? Friends, we want you to have the experience that the church was supposed to be, and that is to be a family, to be a part of something. Uh, but especially I find in the Chicagoland area with all these churches all over the place, it's like, what's the next cool one? What's the biggest one? What's got the best programs for me? The answer is always what's happening for you. I'm not sure you're understanding hmm. the point of church. That's what we long for you as pastors. We want our churches to function as families, and as Christ followers, we long for you to have that experience as well. Again, you're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Uh, you can contact us at area code 312-660-2594, 312-660-2594, or on Facebook at facebook.com slash the common good radio show. That's facebook.com slash the common good radio show. Ian, when we come back, I'm going to tell a story of the time I got chased by a shark. (laughs) I can't wait. We call that a tease. All right. (laughs) Come back and join us. Uh, This is The Common Good on AM. This is The Common Good with Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins on AM 1160. Hope for your life. AM 1160. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. My name is Brian Fromm along with Ian Simpkins. Uh, what is our producer Josh trying to tell us? Bring us back in with uh, "I'll be watching you" from the police. <laughs> I, I feel I like tell, he's... This, is, this is still one of the creepiest <laughs> top forty songs of all time. It's okay. <laughs> uh, not, I'm not joking about this, and you, just allow this to blow your mind. My high school in New Jersey, I think it must have just been a joke, but we used to always be able to vote on our prom theme. Oh no! Okay? And the class before me, the class above me, uh, their prom theme was that song. No kidding. Yeah. See, weird? I was I was homeschooled, and I was able to vote on mine as well. <laughs> Uh, just I, not allowed to dance. I had to dance by myself the entire four hours. Yeah, it was, it was really. Endearing. I think every day we do your homeschool stuff. I'm good. At, we're going to do, do a it. whole show on it one I'm time. Not, that's no one needs that. No one I needs do. That. Oh, <laughs> well, again, welcome. We're glad that you're with us uh, here on the Common Good. 
And Ian, uh, about this time each day, we do a little uh, little something we like to call the crazy thing we read on the internet. You make it sound like we've had a show for years. The crazy thing we read <laughs> on there, and next week we're going to have like a, a little jingle with it or oh, something. <laughs> uh, but we would love to hear better ideas for this segment, because I'm not sure crazy thing we read on the internet's a good one. Well, my, uh, my good buddy from college actually suggested a couple of ones. I like uh, internet oddities or interweb weirdness. So well, shout, that's it right there. That's shout out to, to John Shields, who's also a brilliant photographer. If you want to Google John Shields photography, I think he would really appreciate the business. But what do we, what do we like better, internet oddities? I think so. I think that's good. Let's go with that. Well, here was the story. Uh, surfer brawls with 15-foot great white shark and wins. <laughs> what? That is the title. Surfer brawls with 15-foot great white shark and wins. Give us a little bit of detail on well, the this. The subtext is, and now begins every conversation with that fact. <laughs> how, how, how do you have this be your story and not tell that story to every single person everybody. you meet? Everybody. Well, everybody. Apparently, so he, he was swimming, he got attacked. His, <laughs> he keeps commenting like it happened really quickly, and I turned it had one of, its, one of my legs in its mouth. That's the most amazing part of the story. <laughs> he said, I looked down, and the shark had one of my legs in, my, in its mouth. Why did you need to look down to know that? <laughs> I was like, oh, wow, I... Something feels a little weird on my left. Oh, there's a shark. He said the thing was huge. He was hu- huge. Golly, I talk good. Uh, he said the shark thrashed and bit down, and he said he just screamed and just fought back and like successfully was able to beat the shark off. I, I, I that's uh, to me that's an insane thing to be able to defeat a shark while swimming. That just seems that seems really really uh, unlikely. I just like that he yelled to his friends. I just got attacked by a shark. <laughs> he just yelled back. So. Uh, I, I told you earlier that this was going to be a lead into one of my favorite childhood stories, and I, and I said it's when I got chased uh, by a shark. And uh, stretching it a little bit there, <laughs> oh, no. uh, when I was in elementary school, uh, my family and another family, friends of ours, we went to North Carolina to the Outer Banks. Uh, and the night before, so we would go and we'd swim all day in the ocean, and then at night, you know, you'd go mini-golfing or you would go um, go out for ice cream or something like that. And uh, we we were out for ice cream, and we started talking to a fisherman, and he began to tell us that right where we swim every night, they would throw bloody meat in and bring the sharks in. Oh, my god! And gosh. I was like, we were terrified, okay? Yeah, no so fast forward to the next day. We are out at a sandbar, just kind of hanging out, playing in the waves, until one of the kids yells, shark, yells, fin. And so the older kids paddle in fast, but I'm like, god, you're going to learn this about me. Like, I was what my mom would call me husky as a kid, but I was a big kid, right? <laughs> Me and uh, my buddy, we were uh, trying to paddle in, and I'm like, I am going to die. We look out there, and on the shore, people are standing up, and no. they're pointing out past us. And we're like, I'm like, this is unbelievable. This is how I'm going down. And we're paddling as fast as we can, which was not fast. But we made it in. We're huffing and puffing. And all of a sudden, one of the moms turns to us and goes, did you see all those porpoises out there? Uh- <laughs> Now that's that's what I call a porpoise-driven life. <laughs> Come on, that was pretty good. Oh, stop it! And so we—I'll never forget how scared we were. Uh, we were just terrified, and then all of a sudden we come in and we find out uh, that they were just porpoises. Um, but hey, it was no less scary. I don't think I have anything that even remotely compare. I I have a fear of deep waters, and I—that's not even an environment I would put myself in. Okay, here's another story that I found. Uh, it also has to do with fear, not quite as bad as a shark attack. The headline is, Texas police use cardboard cutouts in an attempt to crack down on speeding drivers. <laughs> so they get, they get cutouts of, like, actual people from these departments, uh, like holding one of those uh, speed radars, mm-hmm. and they just 
They just prop them up on trees throughout throughout town. And they said as the moment people see them, they begin slowing down. Like, I don't, I don't know about you, honestly. Even if I know I'm doing the speed limit, if I see a cop or I see someone with a, I, I will instantly, instinctually start braking. Maybe that's like oh, some childhood absolutely. stuff I'm still working through. But you do that too? Absolutely. When I was in college, I got, uh, I used to drive from Wheaton to New Jersey and back uh, for breaks and stuff. And I got a ticket in every state along the way. And since then, <laughs> I am terrified. When I see a police officer, I am driving so slowly. Like, you could already be under the speed limit, and it doesn't matter. It also makes me wonder, why don't they do that? Maybe they do do this with, like, empty old police cars. Just stick them on the side of the road. Oh, see, in, in Michigan, I think they do that. Maybe they do that already. Maybe they do that already. Here was the other one. This one didn't make the list, but you ready? Yeah. In Australia. Man discovers dozens of massive cockroaches hiding in a landline phone. Nope. That's my nightmare. I'm out. <laughs> I don't want anything to do with that. No, I'm getting a new house. <laughs> Man discovers dozens of massive cockroaches hiding in a landline phone. It makes me think of two things. You ready? The first is, this is why you don't have a landline phone. <laughs> they, are, they are not going to hide in your cell phone. Right? I mean, at least not, yet. not dozens. Not yet, right. At least not dozens. But what must he have, uh, he have figured out? Like, at what? What, what would have gone through your mind when you opened that up? Uh, he said he was persuaded to closely inspect the telephone as it appeared dirty and it looked like it was no longer in working order. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Is I'm this sh- really your nightmare? I'm shaking right now. <laughs> I, I need to sit down. I think this would be interesting to hear what other people's fears are. We just talked about shark bites, <laughs> police what officers, problem? and cockroaches. I would l- like, I'm having flashbacks to the movie Arachnophobia. Yes. Did you ever see that? Yes. That's a great film, but that, that movie messed me up for so long. I I don't think that I have a huge issue with spiders, but that idea of just a whole army of them coming out of, you know, from under a door or All a right, let's, uh, let's light up the phone lines. 312-660-2594. Your biggest or most random fear, like Ian's <laughs> apparently with the cockroaches. That's Ugh. 312-660-2594. The last thing about this story, Ian, you know, my, my kids like to, they just shake their head at me because I'm like, king of the dad joke because i'm the dad right so i'm setting that up to say uh do you know what happened to this guy who the cockroaches were all on his landline phone is this about to be a pun his phone was bugged oh my <laughs> this might be the last they ever give us microphones <laughs> that's i think we've reached our pun quota for the year <laughs> come on that is good oh, his phone was bugged well, also, you could send us on Facebook, you could send us some things that you find on the Internet that you think are just crazy uh, and would be fun stories to talk about. Apparently, today we went dark with just our fears, <laughs> uh, sharks and cockroaches and all sorts of other things. But we would love to hear from you. Again, you are listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Our phone number is 312-660-2594 or on Facebook, facebook.com slash The Common Good Radio Show. That is The Common Good radio show well when we come back we hope you join us we are gonna uh, shift gears and talk about the old testament and the new testament some provocative words from andy stanley about the ten commandments versus the sermon on the mount and uh what role does the old covenant and the new covenant play in our lives today uh, as christians so uh we're excited that you're joining us today on the common good on am 1160 hope for your life
AM 1160. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. I am the lead pastor at Four Corners Community Church in Darien, Illinois. Ian Simpkins, my co-host, driving this bus with me, is uh, the teaching pastor. That's your official title, right? Teaching right. pastor? Yes, sir. The teaching pastor at the Yellow Box uh, Community Christian Church in Naperville, Illinois. Uh, we're enjoying this week. Uh, for those of you who are new to the show, that's good because the show is new. <laughs> this <laughs> is our first week at this, and it's been enjoyable, ma'am. This has been a lot of fun, hasn't it? I've had a good time. Good. You come back next week? We'll see. We'll, we'll <laughs> see how the day shakes down. Yeah. <laughs> yes, at least. So uh, really enjoying our time with you guys and interacting with you on Facebook and in other places. So, again, you can reach us at Facebook.com slash The Common Good Radio Show. That's Facebook.com slash The Common Good Radio Show. And you can always call us at 312-660-2594. That is 312-660-2594. Well, Ian, one of the hard things as pastors and just as Christians, uh, when reading your Bible, is what to do uh, with the Old Testament now that uh, on this side of the cross, on yes. this side of the empty tomb, right. on, uh, as, as followers of Jesus, what do we do with all the stuff uh, we read in the New Testament? I know you've got some thoughts on that, but also kind of going to walk us through uh, this article that was written by, uh, at least quoting Andy Stanley, I don't know, or written by Andy Stanley, so... Yeah, I think one of the first things as pastors we need to learn to do better is to acknowledge that a lot of the Old Testament is tough. Like, there's some crazy stuff in there. I think, honestly, one of the worst things we can do is to just sort of pretend, like, nope, this is all all fine. I'm okay with all of this. Like, I'm not not saying— I'm not saying they needed to in any way diminish the authority of Scripture or right. any of that, but I think I think sometimes, particularly skeptics or people who are kind of new to the faith, they get to certain stories where, you know, prophets are calling down bears to maul children, mm-hmm. and they're thinking, what else? oh, how, what do I do with this? <laughs> yes. And we're like, well, you just got to believe. <laughs> I'm like, well, that's maybe not helpful. Like, acknowledging a little bit, like, yeah, there's a lot of carnage, there's bloodshed, there's stuff that's complicated. It's yes. the story of the people of God figuring out what it means to, be the people of God. There's all sorts of twists and turns along the way. And Andy Stanley's actually caught a lot of fire over the last year or so, particularly with that topic. But he wrote an article for Relevant uh, that I, I just found fascinating. He's, t- he's talking about first, you know, the scene that maybe a lot of us are, are familiar with, um, fighting to have the Ten Commandments either on a wall somewhere or have a monument erected. You know, there's there's been a lot of buzz over the decades for having the Ten Commandments, you know, out in some kind of public space and the people that oppose it and blah, blah, blah. He says, how many times have you seen Christians trying to post the text of the Sermon on the Mount in a public place? Mm. Or maybe the all-encompassing commandment that Jesus gave us in John 13, which is this, a new command I give you, love one another. <laughs> As I have loved you, so you must love one another. That's, that's, the, one compa- that's the one commandment. And he's, so the whole article kind of goes on to explore a little bit. Why, why do, we, do we fight so, so aggressively uh, to erect these these Ten Commandments from an old covenant, he argues, that doesn't even necessarily apply to us anymore when Jesus offers this one 
new commandment to mm-hmm. to love as he has loved us. And I think that's a really that's a fascinating idea. How does how does that hit you? Uh, I agree. It, it does hit me well. I get a little um, when you, when you listen to the nuance of Stanley and you listen to his sermons, he he fleshes this out a lot more. He's yeah. not saying get rid of the Old Testament. Right. The sound bites make it feel that way, and that's where I start to get uneasy because yeah. I, I want to go well. It's still the inspired word of God. It's still we're not just you know New Testament Christians. Um, but man, what I love what he does here is like, hey, think about the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Jesus never says. Hey, the Old Testament, hey, God really went overboard on those. Let me dial it all back a little bit, right? But he mm. says, he says, oh, you read Don't Murder? I tell you, don't be angry. Mm. Uh, you heard Don't Do This? I tell you, don't. And he kind of goes back to the heart of it. And uh, what it should do is point us back to his grace and our need for him and yeah. his transformation in our lives. Um, yeah, in the Old Testament, like you said, sometimes it is just brutal to get through uh, and to know what to do with it uh, and look at it through the lens from this side of the cross. And so it is a hard one, but I do agree with them. The Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says basically like, here's here's my law. Like, look, look, and, and eventually it's love. Love uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Yeah. Love your neighbor as yourself. Right. Like, this is what it boils down to. Well, the way you, and Andy Stanley's so good at this, whether you agree He's, with him or not. Like, do you ever listen real fast? Do you ever listen to him and just go like, I should never speak again? Oh yeah, he's such, every time he's such a good every time. Sorry to cut you off. No, that's all good. He just I think wordsmiths and things in a way that at the very least, and I don't. I mean, I don't always agree with him, but yep. he does it in yep. a way that is disarming and it makes me want to engage. And he he said it this way: he said Jesus didn't issue his new command as an additional commandment to the existing list of commands. He didn't say, "Here's the six hundred and fourteenth law." He issued this new commandment as a replacement for everything in the existing list including the Big Ten. Just as his new covenant replaced the old covenant, Jesus' new commandment replaced all of the old commandments. And he says later that the church has this terrible habit of selectively rebranding aspects of the old covenant and smuggling them into the new. And I thought that was such a fascinating imagery for me, the idea of smuggling some of the old into the new. Mm. How, do, how do we do that in real life, though? Like what you're saying, without tossing it aside and saying it's useless, but but then also maybe not maybe not unnecessarily using old covenant principles in ways that are unhelpfully oppressive yes. in this new covenant age, in this Jesus is ushering in this new reality, this new way of the world working, conquering sin and death, saying, hey, stuff works differently now as a result of the work that I've done in the cross and the resurrection. How do we keep from like smuggling some of that old stuff into the new? Yeah, oh, that's good. <laughs> that's a great question. Uh, what I want to do with the Old Testament is to say what in the Old Testament also is pointing to Jesus, right? The sacrificial system um, or uh, and then the book of Hebrews or something's looking back upon it. Um, and what are we learning about the holiness of God? And what are we learning about the sinfulness of man and, and, and all the things that we read in the Old Testament about God's faithfulness uh, at our church this summer? We went through the book of Judges and the book of Judges uh, keeps being like Israel's failure and then God. Uh, them repenting and then God giving them another chance and then Israel's failure and, and God being faithful to his promises even when his people aren't faithful to him. Right, uh, He's still the same God. Uh, but what we want to be able to do is to go, man, even when I read things that are hard in the Old Testament, man, does it make me thankful for Jesus? Yeah, yeah. And does it make me thankful for this good news of hope and of grace? And, and, um, and, and that's going to drive me to worship and drive me to worship and thankfulness. That's a lot of what Paul says. The, the, the idea is that we should, if we're being honest, hold ourselves up against the law 
And our response should be, if, if we're taking on a stock, well, I'm not even close. Like it creates the sense of, well, I, I, I fall way short. Yes. And for that to not lead to despair, but a, an additional appreciation for grace. I, I think sometimes, I got, one of the things I, I love to say is that, man, the, the, the less um, qualified you feel to receive grace, the, the more qualified you are to receive it. Oh, it's Like good. remembering how far the gap has been and like how radical. I think it's easy. You know, I grew up in, I've been, you know, Christ mm-hmm. follower since I was eight, technically. <laughs> like there's, it is easy to forget the enormity of what has been forgiven because I've known these stories for so long. I, he, he ends the article, I think, beautifully. He says, while Jesus was foreshadowed in the old covenant, he didn't come to extend it. He came to fulfill it, mm. put a bow on it, and establish something entirely new. The new that Jesus unleashed made the faith of the first century believers formidable. Their apologetic was irrefutable. Mm. So, dear Christian reader, why, why, why would we ever be tempted to reach back beyond the cross to borrow from a covenant that was temporary and inferior to the covenant established for us at Calvary? Mm. I just think pastorally, that's, that's a massively important question. That's a great, that's a great point he makes. Uh, something you said before, uh, I, I, one thing I'm enjoying is hearing what you say to your people and making me like, man, I want to say that to my people at my <laughs> church, and then I tell you, vice versa it, i always like to say that uh you can't under it's proportional how much you understand the bad news of the bible proportionally than you can understand the good news yeah like they go together right and uh we love to also just jump to grace and jump to forgiveness and jump to freedom all of those are the good news right but what are we being forgiven from uh, right. what are we being shown grace from and and then as we are understanding fully those things it just just blows our mind about the good news of the gospel. It's why we have Good Friday services, right? The mm. the glory of Easter Sunday is all the more illuminated after experiencing the weight of Good Friday. Yes. Right? I'm like if you've left a Good Friday service feeling sad, that's okay. If you if you've left it feeling just like heaviness, that's okay because and we know that Easter's coming and so yeah. to be a resurrection people isn't isn't just simply to, you know, say a phrase over and over again, but to actually recognize, man, I've been saved from death and destruction, sin and violence and evil did its very worst to Jesus, and he exhausted its force. That's The good news isn't just pray this prayer, go to some cloud yes. when you die. It's like, man, he conquered it. It changed the course of everything. The universe works. Now it's the law of love. It's the covenant of love, and we're invited to live in that. I think that's a beautiful invitation. Oh, you just preached a good sermon to me there, buddy. <laughs> preached a good sermon. Uh, we want you to be people of the word. Uh, people who love God's word, who wrestle with God's word, and ultimately are people who find hope in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, that because of that life, death, and resurrection, that sin has been defeated, death has been defeated, hope, life, restoration, forgiveness is ours. And that is the good news. Uh, And that's why we're doing this show. This show is called The Common Good. And as we do it, we want to find new venues and different ways to share that good news with people who need to hear it. So this is The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. I am Brian Fromm, along with Ian Simpkins. Uh, When we come back, we're going to talk about uh, everybody's mission field that they've been given by God. We're to do the work of an evangelist, and I would argue that what we're going to talk about next is a mission field that every single one of us has. So we hope you continue to join us on The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. This is The Common Good with Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. AM 1160. 
Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160. We're just going to let this music go a little bit to where it goes boom, boom, boom. <laughs> Would you sing along with it, please? I just did. I think I just did. That was your singing? And I'm boom, boom, okay. boom. Yeah. We'll have, a, we'll have a talk offline. <laughs> they, they have us here together to have the talk online. <laughs> is that what have it is? Together. All right. Again, my name is Brian Fromm. I'm lead pastor at Four Corners Community Church, along with Ian Simpkins, teaching pastor at the Yellow Box in Naperville. This is The Common Good on AM 1160. You can follow us at facebook.com slash the common good radio show. That is the common good radio show. We're trying to continue the conversation going on there. Well, a lot of us struggle with this concept of being a missionary. And we think that being a missionary, Ian, is always uh, going to Africa yeah. or going to being a pastor. Right. Or, and then we read texts in the Bible that say everybody's called to do the work of an evangelist, go and make disciples and all of this stuff. And we get this kind of dissonance, like, well, I, I got to go to work. I can't go be a, dis- right. be a disciple maker. Or I can't go to Africa or right. whatever else. But I would argue that all of us have the same mission field. Yep. Uh, talk to me about that. Well, I think there's a couple of things to note. Like in the Great Commission, we talk about go and make disciples. I think for a lot of us, we've interpreted that word go as like hop on a plane. Right. Which it certainly includes that. The, the word there actually is, is probably better translated in your going. Mm-hmm. The idea is in, in your going, whatever that is, for some of you, it will be packing up your stuff and moving to another country. For others of you, though, mm-hmm. like we get to make like the grace of an invisible Christ visible by how we love people. Like the bagger at the grocery store, my next door neighbor, the person walking yes. their dog. Like I think it's easy for us to think of mission as this this additional thing we have to add to our life. And like you mentioned, a lot of us are already feeling like we're just, we're worn way too thin already. I can't add this thing called mission to my life. I think the point is, no, you're not adding it to your life. It's seeing all of your life as a mission. Mm -hmm. It's, it's how you raise your kids. It's how you talk to your neighbors. It's the intentionality that you show to the people that are easily overlooked, the least of these, Mm. whatever that looks like, wherever you're at, that's mission. You, you get to bring life and love and grace and beauty through every breath, through every interaction, the the uh, the ancient mystics used to uh, use this phrase, something like "every table is an altar, mm. every conversation, every meal, every cup, of, every cup of coffee is this sacred opportunity to to bring the grace of Jesus visible." And I think this this article in Christianity Today, the, the the title is fascinating. It's the Great Commission starts in your backyard, and it's talking predominantly about uh, families and how kids who see their parents integrate their faith into their whole life and not just like soapbox here or there like kids as you know yes <laughs> they have they have strong bs meters <laughs> they, they they know when you're you know proof texting your life when it's not actually uh permeated throughout everything but they say kids that grow up seeing that seeing their faith actually uh, integrated into life um have a much higher likelihood of actually taking it seriously taking this spirituality thing seriously and i think that's fascinating that you know, as ministers, we've talked a lot of times the temptation to see the the real work of pastoring yes. or missionary work is what I do, you know, on a platform or a building. And the article was so convicting to me, like your first ministry is your family yes. and your neighborhood and the people right around you right now. That's your mission field. Yeah. Uh, at our church, we have a we have a statement that we say uh, we long for all of our people to live as everyday missionaries wherever they live, work and play. That's great. And uh what would happen within the church and Christianity in our culture if we all took that seriously? Yeah. Like that I am called to my family first, and then I'm called to my work, and I'm called to my neighborhood. Uh, 
I, I'm be increasingly become a believer that we're not in our neighborhoods, right, um, by accident. Yeah, right. These people are we're intersecting with people. But yet in the suburbs, it's easy to pull your car into the driveway and get out, go in, and never talk to anybody and then go and, um, you know, I spend a lot of time at my kids' sporting events or at their school. Yeah, right. Uh, and to view that, not as projects, but to view that as a mission field. Right is powerful and totally. it changes our perspective. Totally. One of the, one of the things we talk about community uh, at community is what we call the blessed practices. Mm-hmm. So when people are like, how love do I actually blessing. live this out? And <laughs> much like a lot of pastors, I love acronyms. So it's, it's just blessed. B is begin with prayer. Like just begin with God, help me to see the people around me that you've placed in my life that I maybe haven't been paying attention to. The, the L is listen, right? We don't first begin by, can I tell you about Jesus? Can I just mm-hmm. assume a posture of listening? Like, what are their struggles? What are their fears? What are their hopes? The third is probably my favorite. E is eat. <laughs> just eat with people. You're already going to eat anyway. Yep. Have a meal with people. Invite people to lunch or dinner. Like, do the thing your body already needs you to do with somebody. Do it missionally. Yep. And then um, the S is serve. The first S is serve. So we still haven't, you know, we're not evangelizing yet. Yep. Technically, we're, we're just serving them. Once you've listened and shared meals, you, they'll tell you in no uncertain terms how to serve them, what's yep. going on in their life. And then the last S is story. Then you share your story. Can I talk to you maybe a little bit about the difference that God has made in my life now that you've prayed and listened and ate and served them? I think that that model is so helpful for me because it makes this idea of evangelism or missions work so less scary. You know, it's mm. so I used to feel like such a broken Christian because I didn't want to just like cold call people. Like, do you know where you're going when you die? Yep. Like, yep. I just didn't like it. And because I didn't like it, I felt like I'm a, I'm a broken Christian. I used to feel that all the time. Really? This, this pressure that I know I'm supposed to be telling people about Jesus, but I never do. So therefore, I must be failing. Yes. And this freedom that comes from the fact of, hey, just be a normal person right. and live your life. <laughs> View your neighborhoods and your workplaces and stuff through gospel lenses, right? Through the gospel. Uh, do everything that you live, work, and play. Like you, th- you are a missionary just by how you live your life. You're Christ's ambassadors, yep. and ambassadors are representative. Yeah, doesn't mean you have to make. You always have to talk about them. You can just by how you live. Yep. are people understanding the gospel? I think that that simultaneously removes the pressure mm. and increases the pressure. Yeah, because it removes it by like I don't have to like go and bang on my neighbor's door and just pound on them. It, it increases it because, oh, wait, I'm on all the time. Yeah. And, and I got to view my life that way. Yeah. I think that's great. But I think it's a way of seeing our life holistically, right? It's not like, oh, it's not my, oh, it's my spiritual time and then like the rest of my life. Yes. I think from the very beginning of Genesis, we see that you know, all of life is sacred, mm-hmm. right? If we, with this cultural mandate that God gives to the first humans is, man, build, dream, create, develop. Every, every, every breath is this sacred opportunity to make God known, to see all of life as holistically integrated with what God has called us to do. Well, when we come back in our, in our next time together, we are going to talk about this. Uh, what can we learn about evangelism from an atheist? There's a fascinating article, an atheist saying, here's the best way for you to evangelize. Again, you can reach us at 312-660-2594 or on Facebook at facebook.com slash the common good radio show. That's the common good radio show. This is The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. This is The Common Good with Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins on AM 1160. Hope for your life. AM 1160.
coming up next on The Common Good. An atheist gives some biblical advice to Christians. And i got to be honest, I found it pretty convicting. You're not going to want to miss it. But first, here's traffic and the weather. AM 1160. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. My name is Brian Fromm, along with Ian Simpkins. And uh, is this a keytar? Is this a keytar? <laughs> I mean, it sounds like a keytar. A keytar. <laughs> I love the keytar. Of course you do. Of course you do. <laughs> I believe Michael W. Smith used to play the keytar. No? Well, then, okay, I take it back then. No? I think so. In your home school, you probably were allowed to listen <laughs> to him? True. A friend is a friend forever, Brian. <laughs> if the Lord's the Lord of them. Yes, he is. So uh, we were just talking about evangelism last time we were together and talking about our main mission field being our neighborhoods. And now we've come across an interesting article, uh, a blog by a pastor by the name of Scott Sauls, S-A-U-L-S. Scott Sauls' blog, uh, if you've never read it, is a fascinating read. We'd love to have him on the show sometime. Uh, Also, his books, like Befriend and some others, are just great. Uh, He's a pastor down, I believe, in the Nashville area. And he wrote a blog that is simply entitled this, An Atheist Gives Sound Biblical Advice to Christians. Well, I read that. I was like, I'm in. (laughs) I am in. And he goes on to talk about, Saul's does, about that their church, they're talking about evangelism. How do you share Jesus with people every day? Just what we were talking about last week, or or last uh, last segment. (laughs) How do you um, share Jesus with people? And he actually went to an article and got one called The Top Ten Tips for Evangelizing from an Atheist. So an atheist, someone who doesn't believe at all in Jesus, anything we believe, says, hey, but I know that you're probably going to talk to me about it. Maybe think about these tips, right? Mm. Fascinating way to think about it. What does an atheist think Christians should do when they're coming to him to talk about Jesus? We're just going to work through its ten things. We're going to work through them, comment them as we go. Um, Hopefully some of these are kind of aha moments for you. Top Mm. ten list. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, Take us away. Number, number one. one. Number one. He writes, be like Jesus. Hang with the sinners and judge the judgers. And then he goes on to say the most admirable part of the story of Jesus, even to an atheist like me, is the way that the Gospels betray him, portray him as a preacher who focused his sermons against those who abused their wealth and religious power while he spent his time hanging out with the outcast loathed by his community. Yeah, and, and not just like a little bit of time. That's the thing that... I find additionally convicting about Jesus because sometimes I feel like when we when we talk about this topic, it's like, yeah, and he also said hi to the outcast every once in a while. Yes. Like he spent so much time with them that it's even in some of the gospels where the religious elite were like, That guy's a drunk and a glutton. Yep. Like he's spending so much time sharing so many meals, they were making accusations of additional sins yep. based on their observation of his behavior. It it was not Oh, he went on like a couple of missions trips to the, to the inner city. It was like his life and pattern was identified as one who spent to the religious elite an uncomfortable amount of time yes. with the people they had deemed unclean or outcast or lesser than to the point that like everyone seemed to notice. And I find that really convicting because if like if I'm being really honest, I don't think my life looks like that. Yes. Here's number two. You want to be convicted. Get ready for this one. Form genuine relationships with people. Don't treat them as projects. He writes, loving people should not be seen as a tool for getting access to someone so you can get to your work fixing them. Loving people means more than just saving them. If you're turning another person into a project, stop. Treat them like your peer and not someone to be manipulated and shaped for their own good. 
Well, this and this is something we talk a lot about, right? That people, I think people have stronger BS meters than we give them credit for. Yep. And we can smell it, right? If someone's being real salesman-y or somebody you haven't talked to in 15 years is trying to get you to use your Facebook platform to sell their product, you're like, yes. okay. Like, that we can smell that out. And sometimes I think we forget that other people can too. And it is tough, maybe impossible, to love people like Jesus and see people like projects. I don't know that it, it works that way. And again, I'll, I, I mean, I'll raise my hand. This one's super convicting to me. Yep. I think we we do this in ministry. I think we do this in marriages, yep. don't we? Oh, I got to fix this person to become. And we can maybe, maybe this is some of the issue of being preachers is like we spend a lot of time with words. Yep. So you can create words to justify behavior that actually isn't all that Christ-like. Now, I, I will say the flip of it is if someone is in a space where they're har- they're real harm to themselves or others, mm-hmm. I don't know that the most loving thing always is to just, well, hey, grace, forgiveness. Like I remember a guy was in my office years ago, and and he he was admitting this like really toxic drinking problem, and he was he was about to lose his job, he was about to lose his wife, and he shared all this with me, and then he said, hey, just but just love me for me, man. Don't oh. I don't need you to. And I said, you're implying that the most loving thing I can I can do right now is to let you continue to destroy yes. your life. Maybe in this moment you need to be, like, shooken up a little bit, you know? And that, I think, sometimes is the most loving way to look at people, but but to not, by and large, see people as projects. That's great. That's great. Number three, actions speak louder than words. People will figure out whether they like you, want to be close to you, or have anything to learn from you by how you behave far more than by anything you say. That one feels a little self-explanatory. <laughs> Bam. Again, as a, as a preacher, though, like that one's, that one's pretty convicting to me because I think you know we spend so much time writing books and crafting sermons, and I think we can become a little bit in love with some of those words. Yep. Like, oh, as, long as, I'm, if, as long as I'm saying the right words, that's as good as actually living it out, and I, I don't know that that's always the case. Well, then you're not going to like number four. You ready? Yeah, I can't wait. When talking about religious and philosophical matters, ask more questions and do less preaching. Oof. People just like to be heard, and they like people who listen to them. They will feel more trust in you the more that they open up to you. You have to overcome the temptation to make your attempts to persuade others all about how you feel and what you think. Your focus must be on what the person you're persuading feels and thinks. Listen more than you speak. What do you think about that one, Brian? Let's hear your thoughts. I feel like you're making me feel all of these. This is, I'm, I like how this is working. I'm I, just reading I do you. not. It is, uh, I think it's... Guilty as charged, right? Yeah. Uh, we want to get our message. Sometimes we listen in order to speak. And this guy's just saying, just listen. Yeah. Like, listen to what I've got to listen to my story. You'll get an opportunity to right. share once you've earned that trust. Right. And I think what this speaks to, too, is that there's going to be a long game here. Mm. Like, take the time. Listen to me. Know my story and uh, earn my trust. And then you can share. Yeah. One of the things that I remember uh, a teacher in Bible college telling us, too, when he's talking about the book of Acts, he said, we're, we're called to be witnesses and it's impossible it's impossible to be both a witness and a prosecuting attorney. Like so often we want to be the ones to like convict of sin and he said repeatedly that's not your job. Like your job is to is to love people, mm. to bear witness to what God has done in and through you and to allow the work of the Holy Spirit to actually do what his word says the spirit does. And that right. can feel really unnerving at times. Yes. You know like oh I feel like I need to get in there and sometimes maybe maybe that's yeah. not the best approach. Good. Number 5. Don't give unsolicited advice or judgments. Support people and wait for them to ask for your input if they want it. Ask if they want your advice before giving it. I think you have to trust that a morally perfect God can save people without you acting in exploitative and manipulative ways. 
leave it to God to do the work. He's saying, again, you're running some themes through these, right? Yeah. Treat me like a person, not like a project. Listen to my story. Don't try to persuade me with everyone. Quit trying to sell me stuff. Uh, I think I think we're hearing that over and over and over again. Number six, appreciate that nominal Christians are Christians too. Yeah, he goes on to say people are extremely complicated. Amen. If you're walking through the world categorizing everyone you meet into two categories, true true Christians versus the unsaved, you're not only being shamefully judgmental, you're actually risking alienating yourself from those you want to see saved. That one is like a ton of bricks. Mm. Like that is, that's a, I don't know that I even, there's a lot to work through there. Like the idea of nominal Christians, that's an interesting one because there's, there's a number of things throughout Scripture that talk about lukewarm Christians, Correct. right? And the, the text I'm thinking of says, I'm going to spit you out of, your, <laughs> yes. out of my mouth. I'd actually rather you be cold right. than, than lukewarm. But the point is, is well taken, this like hyper-categorization. You know, we even, we, we've used words like a lot of military words or our target audience. Like, what do you do to a, a target? You shoot at a target. <laughs> like, sometimes there's language that's so embedded in like how we interact as Christians that we don't even realize how it comes across to people that are maybe unfamiliar. Let's get one more here. Number seven. Don't try to force others into Christian participation. Don't be the Christian who tries to turn your common spaces uh, into specifically Christian context. Don't try to rope everyone into prayers or other acts of worship or acknowledgement of Jesus. Make it all, make it so all participation in Christianity is free and chosen by all the participants. Here's what I hear in this. Quit manipulating me. Mm. Quit inviting me over for dinner so that you can kind of do a sales job on me. Have me over for dinner because you want to get to know me. Yeah, that's and good. And have me over for that's dinner. Really good. Well, there's a couple more we're going to go through um, when we come back. So hope that you will join us here on The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, as we continue to talk about evangelism techniques from the atheist. How does somebody who has been evangelized over and over again say that Christians should go about the process? So we'll do a couple more, and then we'll wrap up the show here on this Thursday. This is The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. This is The Common Good with Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. AM 1160. Welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160. My name is Brian Fromm. I am the lead pastor of Four Corners Community Church in Darien, Illinois. And my co-host is Ian Simpkins. He is the teaching pastor at the Yellow Box uh, Community Christian Church in Naperville. Uh, earlier, we were talking about a top 10 list off of Scott Saul's blog, Ian, entitled, An Atheist Gives Sound Biblical Advice to Christians. Basically, he's saying, hey, people have tried to evangelize me my whole life. Let me right. give you some advice about how somebody in my shoes, who's not a believer, is going to best handle this and is going to be best reached. Well, if you're going to reach me, here's your best shot, is yeah. what he's saying. It's fascinating. Uh, and so... Uh, we rushed through number seven, so let's start there again. Number seven was this. Don't try to force others into Christian participation. Yep. Don't, don't fake me. Don't, don't get me into something so that you can um, you know, get me into your Bible study or whatever else, but just get to know me. They're talking about the bait and switch, right? Which yep. is like, I, I remember in, in youth ministry, uh, what was really common was to land like a cool band and you invite all your, yes. you know, all your unchurched friends to this concert but in the middle of the concert, surprise, it's a sermon. And I remember so many friends being like, don't invite me to any more of your Christian concerts. Like that, I mean, even sometimes the bands were good. Like the right, artistry right, right. 
was admirable. And then we sort of, you know, it feels disingenuous and it feels a little dishonoring at times to like sneak attack this bait and switch. Like also there's going to be an altar call. Yep. Yep. Now the flip of that is sometimes like, whoa, do we, don't we want to take every opportunity? Absolutely. You know? And that, that I think is a real tension that people live in. Like, well, Am I being am I being unfaithful if I'm not taking every chance to like proclaim the gospel? Right. And I feel that as we're reading through these, like this tension of well, like yeah, I get what you're saying, but also I, I want to use the concert as an opportunity. Right. I want to use the the retreat that we're sending kids on. I want to use those things. And I think the the call here is just be wise about it. Yeah, and be upfront about it. Like, hey, this is why I'd like you to come over. Totally, I'd like to. Or this is what's going to happen at this concert. Honest, and I don't know if this is true or not. And I, maybe I can't speak to this because I've, I've been a Christ follower like my whole life. Me but too. I imagine if I wasn't and someone honestly said, hey, uh, there's this part of my life that has transformed my whole life and it's been really meaningful to me and I care about you. Would you in any way be interested in coming with me on a Sunday? Like no. that level of honesty to me feels so much more attractive and winsome mm-hmm. than like this, this weird kind of polished bait and switch. Like come for this, but it's actually this. I just wonder if, if maybe we can't learn a little bit, uh, just being upfront about like this. This has really been meaningful to me, and I'd just love for you to be a part of that. Yep, yep. I think what's convicting in a lot of these, Ian, is that I've realized that not only have I gone about evangelism in these ways, but I've encouraged my people to go through oh, evangelism no this way. But no kidding. Uh, number eight: Understand atheists and embrace the opportunity confrontational atheists afford you. Mm. Don't ignore our rational concerns, interests, and preoccupations, or you'll be wasting your time. When you find one of us who is willing to have an argument with you, be grateful. We're interested in talking to you about your faith. Rejoice. That's good. He's saying, hey, if we're going to engage you, it means we're interested. That's like, right. Don't, don't get worried about that. The, the fight is might be what, not, what wins someone over yeah. or what convincing. Like That's what you're trying to get into. You're trying to engage in the conversation. So he's saying when we engage you, uh, that's a great thing. Yeah, no Go kidding. for it. We're not trying to belittle you or whatever. Just engage in that. Which is something I feel like is tough because we've not seen this modeled very well. Like I, I was reading a couple of weeks ago that um, for a lot of like first century Jews, they would talk about the place of disagreement as the place of holy ground. Mm. Like when two schools of thought collided, they would like duke it out. They do the hard work in love of disagreeing and pushing back. And there were some circles that would refer to that space as holy ground. That holy ground was not the place of total certainty. I've absolutely arrived on every issue. Like the willingness to say, I might be wrong about this or that. And I think yeah. what he's what he's getting at is sometimes you Christians you come with like one playbook, right? You have like one script and you're just trying to like shove it down my throat. What what if you actually listen to some of my mm. concerns, my fears, my disagreements and I, I I think that's a that's a high call. That's a really important challenge because it says I'm I care about you as a person yes. and the things that make your heart tick and not just convincing you of some sort of cerebral fact, right? No matter how passionately I feel about it, I care about you, and you have some real things and some yes. real thoughts that it would do. I would do well to actually listen to. That's great. That is, that is hard because we always want to have the answer. We yeah. always want to yeah, win. No kidding. Number nine: respect other religions, even as you evangelize their members. Have confidence that if your faith is true and superior, that just comparing faith in an in-depth way with someone of a different faith will spark this realization without you having to present yourself as the enlightened mm. one to save others. He's saying, be courteous. Yeah. Have a conversation. If, if yours really is the way, and that's what we believe about Christianity, mm. if yours really is the way, mm. then don't be afraid of the conversation. 
don't be afraid of of the of the comparison and having uh, having that dialogue. Is I wonder too if there's some freedom for us that we 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 know that Jesus is way truth life. Right? It's a right. thing that we we say a lot. A lot of us have memorized, and because that's true, if we believe someone is truly pursuing truth, right? Mm-hmm. They're seeking ultimate absolute truth. We can breathe a little easier because man, if they're truly pursuing it. I know what actual truth is, right? And as as long as this person keeps churning, keeps journeying, keeps challenging and reading and engaging, God's going to do His work. God's going to do His work totally. Yes. It like it helps me, it helps me lower my shoulders a little bit. Like man, I don't I don't have to enter every room, you know, with a with <laughs> with a plume of fog behind me because I'm I'm the enlightened one. And I think people can sniff that out too. That there there sometimes is this superiority uh, that is. Not only is it, is it not engaging, it just doesn't feel like Jesus to me. You know? Correct. And number 10, speaking of words of Jesus, love your enemies, not just your tribe. Oof. And Saul's then went in with this. He said this, yep, seems we've heard number 10 somewhere before. That's good. <laughs> That's good. Love your enemies, not just your tribe. Yeah. Uh, people aren't projects. We're hearing themes in here, right? Yeah, right. What the guy's saying is, hey, Christians like to say that atheists are the enemy. You'd see me putting up quotes right now, air quotes. <laughs> uh, he's saying, just show me the love of Christ. Yeah. Like, love me the way that you say Jesus loves me and loves you. Show me the gospel. Yep. Even if I am your enemy because I don't believe in what you say. Mm. That seems like harsh, but uh, just love me mm. and not just the other Christians. Like, I'm not your project. You're not at war with me. I think that's powerful. Yeah, it's kind of like he's saying, let let your light shine so beautifully <laughs> <laughs> that people will see it and want to know the source of it. You know what I mean? Like yes. that that's the kind of thing that I, I feel like is is often lost, um, particularly if you were raised in a in a in a church and you've maybe not known what it's like to be on the receiving end. I remember taking a couple of students when I was a youth pastor to a, a Christian concert and between bands this uh, this couple in front of us turned around and they uh, started evangelizing us, you know, wow. and I, you know, and I just kind of smirked. I was, you know, with my students and um, one of the students finally said, well, that, you know, actually this, this is our youth pastor. Mm-hmm. And they just went <laughs> and continued with their pitch. Like they made a judgment call and there's no way this guy could be a Christ follower. And they just kind of continued down the path they had decided. Wow. And I thought, I'm already on your team and this is insulting. <laughs> like this is offense. I can't even, it was a really convicting night for me. Yes. I was like, shoot, I wonder if, Sometimes we can come across that way yeah. to a people that like we long and desire for them to experience the fullness of life in Christ, and sometimes maybe our methodology trips us up yeah. along the way. As we close up shop here, a lot of talk today about evangelism. And our friends, our prayer for you is that you will go and knowing the truth of Christ, and you will go share it with the world that so desperately needs to hear it. Well, for Ian Simpkins, I am Brian Fromm. This is The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Have a great night, Chicagoland. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.